All right, welcome back to the Catch Pitch Show. It's been a while. I've got our usual cast of characters here. I've got Neil Pinchard. Hi there, Neil. Hey, Mike. And Jason Ritchie. Hey there, Jason. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. Good. I see you're in your shop. Good. You got a little sweatshirt on. Winter's Always here. in the shop. <clears throat> so, Jason, what's new down there in that shop of yours? What are you working on? I'm just kind of tinkering around right now, Mike. Um, I finished up a Barlow, my third Barlow. I saw that. That was clean. That was very clean. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I just finished that up, so I'm I'm working on some of those little clinch pick knives that I was kind of tinkering with before. Oh, you're resurrecting um, the fixed blade business. Uh, yeah, I made one for myself today, so I finished that up. I've got probably... Now, I'm not concentrating on fit and finish with these things, but uh, I've got one going to a law enforcement friend of mine who's with the sheriff's department, so... Um, I'm going to get that ground out and I'm going to get going on that pantograph. I've got all my parts and pieces and I'm going to start getting that kind of ready to go and just, just kind of chugging along, doing my thing, tinkering. And you know how that goes. Oh yeah. There's lots of tinkering in the knife shop. What are you going to be making a sheath for that knife? It's I am trying to find somebody that will do Kydex. Apparently Maybe that's the next gambit you and me should be thinking about getting into because Kydex makers are booked. Really? Nobody. Yeah, they are. I I have probably looked into five or six different people that kind of do custom Kydex, and they all have a list or no list. Well, I think that so. um, if you're going to be a fixed blade maker, like you seem to aspire to to want to be, you should. You got to have a sheath. <laughs> You can't just be sending these things out without sheaths. You should get into it. You know, <laughs> you're right. I, I've been on the ledge for a while now, jumping into this fixed blade stuff. Are you resurrecting the whole tactical stuff too? I mean, you're you're a Marine. No, you couldn't no. find, I can see the storyline you could do for your marketing. You you couldn't find a knife that was good enough for you in the theater of war. No, you had to, no. You no. came home and made your own. No, matter of fact, if you look at the couple clinch picks that I've made, so I put stag bone on two of them, and this one has um, that coconut fiber micarta, so it almost looks like camel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, would, would you have room to put a nice World War II leather sewing machine next to that pantograph machine? I, I think, you know. Sure. Sure. If you're going to, like Mike said, if you're going to do this, uh, I could just see some heavy-duty cast iron sewing machine <laughs> threading away on yeah. those leather sheets. Yeah. So, I, I, Mike, you, you, uh, you, maybe you'll appreciate this, maybe you won't. So I, I find value in about anything I can do in my knife shop that has to do with better refining the skills, right? So mm-hmm. I'm not trying to kill it in the... Uh, in the fixed blade arena, I'm not trying to make a, a beautiful knife, but it is kind of fun just to hammer one out, grind a blade, throw some handles on it, and just make a workable knife. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. kind of kind of mindless and fun, and uh, I see no hurt in it actually helping maybe myself get a little better. I would agree. It sounds like relaxing compared to making those darn uh, folding knives. So yeah. I yeah. think he's given up on folding knives. I think that he sees the lure of making fixed blades. <laughs> he's convinced himself uh, he can crank out my, a bunch in a day. I, he can make a killing. I've, I've he'll, seen, he'll be rich. He'll be a millionaire. I've seen some of these guys, Mike. I'm not going to name any names. And I've seen what their knives go for. And literally, it's a flat bar of steel that they've profiled. <laughs> oh, gosh. Of. Here comes the hate mail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be hate mail. I'm not naming any names. And they put like some maybe wrap 120 some, grit candy grind handle. on this thing. <laughs> and then they wrap, they paracord wrap these handles, yeah. which <laughs> Japanese wrap them, which does look really nice. Um, and people are paying like 400, 500 bucks. And I'm going, I am completely in the wrong genre here. If you pay an extra like $900, you can get like the hipster artisanal type of paracord wrap with shellac covers where they made their own shellac over the last If you pay years. $900, you'll get 15 minutes worth of grinding and not five. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't imagine grinding that thick steel 
than that much steel. Oh, I mean, oh, that's a lot of grinding. Dude, there's a couple of these guys that are big names, and I'm sure they forge the steel, and I'm sure they've made their name. So I'm not, I'm not bagging, but what I am saying is that making a slip joint knife is it's the way to go. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. No, they all have their pluses and minuses. It is. I always get a little jealous, like when I see somebody that's got like 30 knives clamped up. They got the handles clamped, waiting for the epoxy to set. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, that'd be fun to do like some batch work like that. Yeah, I do. I do. I do like making a little fixed blade. I would like to get into some sort of maybe a little field knife or skinning type knife. I have a lot, a lot, a lot of friends that are hunters, uh, taxidermists. You know, I'm I'm a country boy, so I have a lot of people that would appreciate something like that. So, you know, it'd be fun to do every once in a while. How, how about you? What you got going on over there in Ohio? Well, I'm still moving a little slowly. I broke my finger two weeks ago, I guess it was. My right index finger. I'm right-handed. And I was out of the shop <laughs> for about a week. And uh, I f- couldn't take it anymore. I went out there. But it's hard not to work without that index finger. I mean, you, you realize how much there's, you pinch and that those kind of actions. There's got to be a great story with this right now. And if there isn't, I want you to have something good <laughs> I, to I should, I should quick make one up about a bear. But uh, no, the kids and I were playing foosball and it was 9-9 and tensions were high and I lost. And uh, I turned around and I was like, no, and I caught my finger on the corner of a wall and uh, it set me down to my knees instantly um it swelled up and you know, i didn't go to the hospital we're not going to go to the hospital until you can't control so all right the rule of thumb for hospitals is if you can control the bleeding somewhat you don't need to go just yeah. put a tourniquet on it yeah so yeah. yeah i didn't go but it's you know definitely broke and there's not much you can do for a broken finger anyway. So no, um, no, no. I've just been grinning and bearing it. And I haven't even been splitting it because, you know, washing things constantly, changing splints and stuff, just not for me. So you're right, though. Of all the fingers to lose, that's a bad one when you're, oh, when I know. you're mechanically inclined. Yeah. 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 So my question is, is who won the foosball game? <laughs> well, the two older kids won and, um, Myself and the youngest, uh, we lost. Did you forfeit? No, they got the last point in. That's when I did the swinging around nonsense. So I'm a little carried away. Okay. Tensions (laughs) were high, like I said. Yeah. But anyway, I've been doing that. I've been making some stuff in the shop. I've cranked out a couple of knives the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of micarta. You got me on this micarta. I don't know. We had one of those philosophical phone calls one time this summer, and you said if those damn knife makers in the 1800s had micarta, you could bet they would be using it. And I got to thinking about that, and you were right. Like, they would be using the heck out of that crap. So I've been using a lot of it. And I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I've been. I've been watching that Bob Loveless documentary about once every two weeks. So you see that green OD, you know, the olive drab. I like mm-hmm. that stuff. So anyway, I've been doing a lot of canvas micarta. And I, I I did pick out some bone. I've got it sitting on the workbench. I'll probably do some bone next, but there you go. I've been doing that and making some jigs and some shop improvements. And, you know, what you try to aim for, I think, as a knife maker, well, I'll stick to pocket knives because I'm not a fixed blade maker like yourself, but... Uh, what you try to aim for with something that has hundreds of processes is you try to aim for building like in a memory for this where it becomes a habit. And I think of a habit as yep. like an automatic reflex. It's something that you do without really consciously thinking about it. And you try to get to that point as a knife maker where everything's a habit, where you don't have to think about it. Because for those white collar workers listening right now, it is quite taxing mentally to work with your hands. If you've never done it, it is a lot more taxing than you sitting at your desk, shooting off an email here and there and thinking about your next, your next zoom call. So I think that you want to create as many habits as you can, but the bad thing with habits is over time, I think, I think you lose attention to detail. I've been trying to look at areas of my knives where I think I can improve. It's hard to get people to like really give you some critical feedback sometimes. But I, I look at where I think I can improve, and then I try and dress those areas. That's what I've been working on. I've talked to a few makers, and just recently here at that Nashville show, even, you know, and, and, and myself too, when you say critical feedback, and I, I've kind of thought about this a little bit as, you know, critical feedback is kind of difficult, especially when you're 
maybe asking another maker and there's going to be other makers that'll maybe offer that up. But at the same time, I think we all respect the fact that if anybody's willing to get into a shop and just do it, that says a lot. So critical feedback is kind of tough for another maker to give another maker because we all can improve. That being said, I, I completely agree with you. We build these processes. Uh, I know building slip joints for sure. And you kind of get stuck in that. And you got to remind yourself that if you want to get better, you can't let yourself get stuck in it. And then that's why uh, Mike, you and I have conversations. You know, I know that there's a few other makers that I have regular conversations with, and those makers will tell you something that they're doing. And it may pop a light bulb out in your head to go, hmm, maybe, maybe I should try that. It's a little different than what I'm doing. And it kind of helps you break out of that funk mm-hmm. or that that lull you're in, you know, and it doesn't let you rest on, well, this is good enough. So I'm this way I've been doing it. So I'm just going to keep doing it this way. There's always a better way. It's just a matter of are you listening and are you willing to accept a little bit of change? And I think that goes a long way in yeah. getting better. Yeah. 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 I try to balance everything I do with, uh, does it improve the knife aesthetically or functionally and mm-hmm. and save time or at least not lose any more time? So mm-hmm. I try to balance that and I balance that as, as well with purchasing equipment. You know, those are the two criteria yep. for purchasing equipment. Can I save time or, you know, can I make a better knife with it? Uh, ideally, you could do both. <laughs> but I think as you progress on the curve, you get less and less of both and it's just little bits of one mm-hmm. or the other. So you know, it's funny. I heard an interview um, a year or so back about um, Ixak Perlman, the the violinist, and someone had asked him within the last couple of years, "How much do you practice?" And he says, "I don't ever practice." And they said, "You never practice?" He said, "I practiced nonstop for like forty years. I got to a point where I finally feel like I think I know what I'm doing. I, I have a handle on it." So as you guys are talking about perfecting your knives, I, I kind of think about that, about, you know, how many years does it take before you finally say, I, I'm i pretty sure I know what I'm doing. And I, I, not that I can't get better, but I feel like I'm kind of at my peak. You know, mm. I, I, I know what I'm doing. I, 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 I just, I really have a handle on it. So I'd be curious to know other knife makers out there who've been doing it a long time. Do they have that comfort level of saying, I think I'm I'm think I'm there. I don't think so. No. Huh. Matter of fact, I've had a few people tell me that knew Tony Bowes, and Mike, maybe you were one of them. Tony Bowes would regularly say that the day he made a perfect knife was the day he was gonna quit making knives. I guess I didn't mean perfect. I meant that you feel like you're you've you've hit your stride you know and 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 i agree you can all you can always do something a little better but there's there is that 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 curve that non-linear curve where you get to a point where you say i feel like i'm at that comfort zone i'm i've i've learned so much throughout my life that i i know what i can do i know what feels good i know what looks good and i, yep. I guess it's hard to describe i, I and i agree you're, nobody nobody's ever going to say i've built a perfect knife but there's still got to be a point where you go, I'm pretty damn good. I'm 98% there. I, I would think as time goes on and you learn all these different techniques on maybe how just to do one certain thing, it's, all, it's, a, it's a metaphorical toolbox. Right, right. right. And, it, and you keep putting all these different techniques into that metaphorical toolbox and you're just building that toolbox and making it bigger and bigger and bigger. And then probably over time, I would imagine after, you know, 15, 20, 30, what, however many years you would come to a point where you're going, man, my, t- my toolbox is pretty full. I can, I can hand sand a blade 18 different ways, you know, or right. whatever the case may be. But I think that's a good idea, Jason. What you just said, I, I think maybe because you've done something, it's like the old joke was, I, I don't, I, I, I didn't do it wrong. I just know a hundred ways not to do it. You know, and it's almost mm-hmm. like maybe maybe after so many years, you've done so many different methods that you found the one that is is the most comfortable or works the best for you. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that's the best way. It just means that hey, this this is what I'm this is what I've come to adjust to. So yep. we'll have yep. to talk about this again in about thirty years when our podcast is still going. And oh yeah, with you guys, where your comfort <laughs> level is. 
<laughs> episode 4068. <laughs> yeah. I right. think with making pocket knives, it's there's so much to learn. Like right. if, if yeah. I think about a hundred blader, I got a long ways to go. I and I don't know if I'm going to get there. You know, it's going to take many years. <laughs> you are, you are. Hey, Jason, I wanted to hear more about the Nashville show. You just brought that up a little bit ago, and yeah. um, I'd love to hear about that. How'd it go? What'd you think of it? Uh, I thought it was a great show. Actually, um, I'm not a big crowd person, and uh, it wasn't a giant show. However. Uh, a lot of people there told me there was quite a few more exhibitors there than there was last year. Um, I think that was about a hundred. Hmm. And uh, I, I met there was a lot of really, really good uh, slip joint people there, uh, traditional pocket knife people. Um, <laughs> Mike, that's one strike against you, pocket knife. He did correct quick. So yeah, it, it was good. I had a I had a couple knives I sent with Windy City Knives. Uh, George had a couple of my knives that he took to the show, so that was pretty exciting for myself. Um, I came to the conclusion that uh, I don't know if I have much interest in actually exhibiting in a show ever. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I like doing what I did. I like sending them along with somebody like George, letting him sell a few of them, and getting to walk around and do my thing. And I don't know, maybe that leaves me out as far as hanging out later on or whatever, but I thought it was a good show. It was a lot of fun. It was a good time. It was Nashville, man. It's like it's like the Vegas of the Midwest. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's coming from a collector perspective, I think it's important not that you're there for yourself, but that you're there for your customers. I think customers love to make that human um, connection with the mm-hmm. guy that made their knife or the woman that made their knife. I think yeah. I think that that's important to to have put a face and a personality and a, and and hopefully a handshake and yeah. someone says wow you're the guy that made my knife I I want to thank you and and appreciate it so I, I think that it's more more in a like I said a public relations thing yep. than it is just to go hawk your knife the the uh, traditional slip joint guys weren't selling a lot there there's a lot of knives still left on tables uh, Bill Rupel and uh, Tom Ploppert, of course, their knives were gone before the show even opened. But um, right, and I think some of those were, you know, they just brought knives to deliver. But uh, I mean, yeah, I think shows are hard <laughs> for guys like us because they're expensive. Yeah. <clears throat> they take you out of the shop, and they're yeah. they are expensive. Um, tables are expensive, yeah. and the cost of getting there and lodging, huh. and you're talking about food, lodging, shows. gas. Yeah, and we both have kids. So. And I think Mike, you had mentioned if you're at a show, you're not home making a knife. Yeah, and, and that's, I've been putting a lot of thought into uh, both of your idea. I will say, I think this is an idea. Maybe we should talk about potentially. I think it's not a bad idea. What idea? That's the cliffhanger there. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the small private show, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. It's been done many times. I think we should do it. I think we could round up very easily five to ten local Midwest makers. I think that would be really, really cool. So there's some logistics that we would have to figure out, but I think that would be pretty, pretty cool. Party bus. <laughs> yeah, definitely a party bus. <laughs> just drive around the country picking up people and. And yeah. at your uh, campground. The show is actually yeah. on the bus while it's driving. And yep. Yep. You can get off whenever yep. you want. I'm right on the Mississippi River. We could we could do it on a pontoon boat if we wanted. I'm just going to kayak down to your place, Jason. I got a couple of small kayaks in the garage, so I'll, my son and kayak. I will jump in a couple. He's going to yeah. shoot his way out of Minneapolis all the way down to you. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds we'll just... like work, man. <laughs> well, I'm going downstream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, one thing while I uh, was waiting on my finger to for the swelling to go down a little bit was I was just cleaning up my books for the end of the year. Oh, nightmare! And also just kind of like figuring out what I'm doing with social media. And I've decided I think I'm done. I'm breaking up with Facebook. I was never a, a Facebook person, and I opened a Facebook account up for the business in 2021 
and it's all messed up. It's got like shadow accounts. It's got like two accounts. I can't figure it out. I have the Facebook app that allows you to manage Instagram and Facebook. It's horrible. Doesn't work half the time. I've mm-hmm. never uh, sold a knife on Facebook. Now, granted, I don't spend any time on there either. I just cross post. I just have it set up to automatically post to Facebook. And this is no like uh, slight to anybody on Facebook who loves it. But I mean, the app is super gamified. Um, it's made to be very addictive for its user base, which I'm not a big fan of that. It's got a terrible user interface. And from a business perspective, I can't figure out half of it. And I think I'm going to shut it down. I've talked to other knife makers that have said that's stupid. You keep it up there. But why invest time in something I'm not really interested in? So I'm going to take my Facebook account down. I I thought about even like looking at Blade Forums. But I, I, I logged into Blade Forums. And you guys know I'm not very active on the forums. But I do... I do occasionally browse Blade Forums and All About Pocket Knives. They're the same user experience that they were 15 years ago, I guess. And threads are missing photos, and there's no way to really use it on your phone. And I got to scroll 17 pages through somebody's goofy signature. I don't know. I, I guess I'm stuck right now with Instagram for selling knives, which I do like. And I have good conversations there every day with real human beings, mm-hmm. not just people trolling me like on Facebook. So I'm putting all my eggs in in the f- Instagram basket for 2023, I guess, for the moment, for better or for worse. I, I wish the forums, I wish they would work because it's a nice place to co-mingle with uh, people that are interested in a singular topic. Man. And it doesn't work on your phone. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. First of all, the forums have different personalities. You have to know which forum is is more relevant to what you're doing or what you're asking or what you're interested in. For you guys, I think All About Pocket Knives is a good forum, but that 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 would be the, the last place I would have you guys talk about your knives on. You know, they're really older guys, really into collectible older knives. A very little chatter about custom makers on there. Yeah, buying knives. No, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go there for selling knives. But I'm a knife enthusiast, just like you and just like sure. Jason. So yeah, I like to yeah. read about knives and see what other people are collecting and look at stuff I haven't seen before. That type of thing. That's for the entertainment piece too. But I do enjoy Blade Forum still. I'm a longtime member of the USN as well. Been there for a long time. Well, look at but, you with your fancy email address. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Do they still have that, that requirement? Do they still have that? Uh, they did. And then I think at the time you could, then once you got in, once you were in, you could, then you could change it. You but, could go uh, back to your Gmail address. I think more so Blade Forums. Unfortunately, I think uh, the USN may have made a costly error in what they've done recently with shutting down and taking a long time to reboot. And then basically losing, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what they did or how they did it, but they, they basically deleted all their history and they're starting fresh. And, um, I hope I'm wrong, but I think that was going to prove to be pretty costly for that forum. Blade hey, forum. Jason, Blade, I don't, yeah. I don't know what USN is. Uh, that's the usual suspect ne- network. Oh, I, it's a private I knife. Don't forum. know anything about it. Okay. Huh. Um, is that a, is that a Facebook forum? I'm no, not on Facebook no, either, so it's I don't a, know. It's a, I'm not on Facebook either. Um, huh. it's, a, it's a forum. Just okay. a regular. They do have, you can get in with Tapatalk and apps like that. <clears throat> Is it with all it, geared but, for new makers or for custom um, knives? No, there's a lot. There's a lot of old older makers there. Uh, the USN... It's 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 actually a really good place. There's the trolling and stuff that even goes on on Blade forums doesn't happen there. They 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 monitor it pretty good and they they command that you respect each other there to the fullest and they put a squash to it if you don't. I'm curious is there any talk on there about uh, historical <laughs> um not a knives lot cutlery? Okay. Not a so lot. it's most, mostly new mostly custom knives. Which still Most, sounds neat, but mostly custom. Um, okay. Not a lot of not a lot of traditional slip joint type makers there. Okay, I've made the few knives that I have made on request uh, were for a couple of those guys. Hmm. Um, so it, it's a good place. Uh, good place. I I've got nothing but good things to say about the USN. I just hope that 
with them shutting down, it doesn't ruin the whole thing. And, and I've talked to a few people that seem to indicate that may be the case, but we shall see blade forms. I think is great. I think, I think the traditional section, the porch, as they call it on blade forums is if it wasn't for the porch, I probably would not be making knives right now. Wow. I wouldn't even be interested in traditional knives to the extent that I am, that I would have even considered being a knife maker right now. So I like going to blade forums. I like seeing what the forums have to offer, what people are thinking, saying, buying, and I always learn something new there. So I, I think it's, it's good, but forums are definitely a little bit of old tech, Mike, for sure. Yeah, no, um, I like the basic premise of the forum. I just think that there's two pieces of tech there, like the whole uploading of photos. And I get it. That tech stack that it's built on isn't great yeah. for photos and it's expensive for storage, et cetera. But, and then the whole mobile thing, like, hello, it's 20, we're almost in 2023. Everybody's on their phone. Yeah. When I walk around, everybody's on their phone. You can't even talk to anybody more. They just head down the phone. Yeah. So, yeah, make something work for a phone first. I, I don't have any problem with my phone. I'm kind of curious um, because I, I check Blade Forums and AAPK several times during the day when I'm out and about on my phone and everything mm-hmm. for me shows up and works fine. Yeah, but it's not an Instagram experience. Like for, for from a maker's perspective, you you got to have a nice place to sell your knives. I, I don't think that the current setup at Blade yeah. Forums is... is conducive to that. Todd Todd Davidson is selling his knives there again, correct? Yeah, yeah, Todd's back on there selling and he's, knives. And he's doing well and he enjoys He's it. doing yep. fairly well. I I get what you're saying, Mike. Instagram is so instant, right? Insta Instagram, go figure. You can take a picture and you can have it uploaded onto your page or on your story and in literally in a minute. Blade forums is a little different because you got forums are centered around conversation. Exactly. Instagram conversation and personality. Instagram is centered around photos. Yeah, yeah, D- different, um, con- different. T- yeah, it's completely different. They have improved Blade forums. I know when they rebooted here a year or so ago, I couldn't get a photo to download for nothing. I mean, I could take a picture of a piece of black paper and it wouldn't download. It said the pixels were too much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all that nonsense aside, it's just that it's not just um, for knives, right? It's pretty much any hobby. If you were to go back 15, 20 years ago, every hobby had a forum, if not 20 different forums. And most of those forums are are gone now. So uh, I I do like blade forums. I go on there every once in a while, peruse. It's very frustrating to go on there and maybe I'm doing some research or looking at a particular pattern and nothing but missing photos, nothing but missing photos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those are all old. And like, like Jason said, they did have a problem. Not, not just old. I've, I've, I just came across posts from last year. The photos are gone. I think hmm. what you're experiencing, Mike, unfortunately is when they did upgrade the photo thing, something with their, probably their servers and the owner not wanting people to upload big photos. But I think he saw the light on that. Uh, So a lot of people were going to these third party photo hosting things again, Mm -hmm. which I cannot stand. I thought that is the one piece of tech I thought we got rid of uh, (laughs) in the early 2000s. But apparently... That's where these forum people they they got to get out of that. Your yeah. your forum needs to be able to host photos That's and right. be able to host them quickly. That's right, hundred percent. There yep. can't be any ifs, ands, or buts. So you're gonna do a forum. No, f- none of this. Like th- those photo th- places, they they come and go. The photo buckets, the imgers, mm-hmm. they're they're here today, right. gone tomorrow. Yep. Or some dude's yep. got a free account, and, or he paid for a year and it expired. Now the now all the photos that he uploaded are un, unreachable. Anyway, enough uh, yeah. enough of that, I guess. But yeah, I'm shutting my Facebook down at the end of the year. I'm still trying to figure out how to shut it down. <laughs> but uh, uh, good luck. I'm, uh, good luck. I'm leaving Facebook, although I'm still on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. So whatever. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Do you have to send Zuckerberg a personal letter then? Yeah, um, yeah. 
or or an yeah. email to tell them that you'd like to leave the club. Yeah, I send or... them a little hand salute. So um, <laughs> maybe when you send that Christmas card off to him, you can put a note in there. You know, Mark, thanks. I appreciate what you've done, but I I, I want out. You know, and then he can just delete no, your name. Listen, I got nothing against anything. Whatever. You want to be on Facebook, be on Facebook. It's just for me, like I would get on there. It was such a terrible experience for me as a business owner. And I don't have very good insights as to what's going on. It's it's so gamified. The next thing you know, I'm looking at like Toyota Tacomas, you know, and, and now I've lost 25 <laughs> minutes, you know, it's just like, and then the next thing you know, yeah, you're all over the place. And then the next thing you know, you got a half naked girl in front of you. You're like, where'd this come from? I thought I was looking at Toyota oh, Tacomas. Squirrel. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't need any of that nonsense. So oh, I'm too old goodness. for that. So anyway, for the, the 13 people that follow me on Facebook, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know my wife, just real quick, my wife has been trying to close down a Facebook account for literally the the entire summer. She cannot figure it out. So good luck. I'm kidding. Oh my time. gosh. Yeah. I was if you looking, figure it out, yeah. let me know. I was lucky I didn't find it real quick. I only spent a couple of minutes on it. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to dig on this to figure out how to delete my account for good. It's probably like LinkedIn where you can't ever, the account's been created before you were born and you can't ever delete it. Mm-hmm. It's LinkedIn, not linked out. Yeah, right. It's a hotel California. Yeah, (laughs) for real, that we are (laughs) all a part of. Hey, it's a big club. You ain't in it. Um, Hey, it's almost Christmas time, guys. So get your acts together. Get your crap for your wives. But listen, let's focus on ourselves a little bit. And let's focus on our friends. And uh, for today, for today's history stuff, we told Neil no knives today. We're going to talk about some gifts for for Christmas, and we thought about what about a book list. I know it's old fashioned; people don't read books anymore. I'm sure tomorrow my kids are going to tell me YouTube's old fashioned. I don't know; maybe it already is, but I'm still reading books. And there's a lot of knife books out there, hundreds and hundreds. Are there thousands? Probably. I know I have multiple bookshelves full of them, and I'm sure Neil, you've got. 20x that. So I'm going to challenge you guys to pick two or three books that you highly recommend. And I would like you to keep in mind the following things. Maybe uh, for somebody new for knives, and maybe somebody that's already been into knives. What do you recommend? But be thoughtful about your picks, boys. Don't be just throwing out some book just because you got in the mail today, Neil, your book of the day. I want you to, to be thoughtful about the books you're going to pick. Well, Mike, I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up on that and say that you you had a great idea right off the top of your head. My wife asked me every year, "What do you want for Christmas?" Well, I I buy myself stuff, but <laughs> what a great idea to say, "Get me this book." I'll just point to a book and and give her the 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 name. She'll order it on wherever she orders it, and then she's got something to hand me at Christmas. So what a great way to get a book to tell your wife, your girlfriend, your your brother, anybody, hey, I'd, I'd like this book for Christmas. So I think that's that's a great way to start approaching this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you might as well get yourself something you want, right? I mean, you could get that yeah. you know, crappy screwdriver set that you didn't need from who knows where, or you could get some sweet knife books. Absolutely. Can I, can I start? Oh, yeah. Sure thing. Now. Keep in mind, Neil. Yep. I'm very limited on my book collection. <laughs> yeah, I've only just I, started. I understand. So I understand. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't be don't picking blow J- me out of the, the water. Two books here. that Jason owns. <laughs> you, you know, t- I I really thought about this, and the the best thing about books is books are just like knives, because meaning that that you can you can choreograph your book selection to what you like. If, if you like Sheffield knives, there's plenty of Sheffield books. If you want, if you want to know more about custom makers, there's, there are books on how to custom make knives out there. There's books on American collecting, German collecting, European collecting, and then you get into all the different niche fields. Um, there's some great books out there on, on Swiss army knives. Um, plenty of great books on Bowie knives. So the first thing you want to do is tell yourself, what am I really interested in? But I would preface that by saying, 
there's there's really two books that everybody should have right off the bat, in my opinion. And and if I were only going to say to buy one book, and I thought about this too, oh my god, I would start by saying I would start by saying go buy Blades Guide to Knives and Their Values. That was originally um, kind of spearheaded by Bernard Levine, a longtime knife expert. I'll give him that. Um, but Blade kind of took this book over, and and they've had several editions out. I think the last one I think I wrote down was 2010, the seventh edition. But they're all kind of similar. I'm still working with the 2005 edition. But that's such a good book because not only does it talk about the different makers that you can find some information on. There's a lot of good history in there. There's history about Sheffield stuff, about different knife patterns. You know, I mean, the first thing, if, if a guy, a guy should really figure out or a gal should figure out what's the difference between a sheep foot and a lamb foot blade? You know, what's a spear point? What's a clip blade? What's a saber clip blade? And Blades Guide does a great job of telling you what the patterns are, what the handle shapes are. And then they have great categories in there about Boy Scout knives, about primitive knives. Um, it's, it's just a really good all-around knife book. If I were to throw the second book in there, then I would say Goins. And Goins is more like an encyclopedia. Goins doesn't talk about all the different knife patterns or shapes, or they don't really talk about history. But they're a great encyclopedia. You've got a book that, or you've got a knife you just got, and it says Emerson on there. Well, who the heck made Emerson? You go to Goins, and it is an, an A to Z encyclopedia of all the different brands from all the different uh, c- companies, um, and really from around the world. It's, it's he's not super strong in German and English, but there are quite a bit of of, um, of, of knives and information from those countries. So those are my two those are my two go-to books right off the bat. The Goins book, Neil, how often is that updated? Um Goins is actually a re- you know some of these books are really old. Goins first came out in 1998. Um I don't remember how long ago it was that that um Mark Zaleski at Knife Magazine actually reprinted Goins. Um I suppose about maybe five, six, seven years ago. And I didn't realize until we had talked about doing this book as our subject that I just assumed that that the reprint they did of Goins was the exact same book. It's not. They added a lot of information. So I feel I feel kind of like, oh man, I should have known that and I should have ordered this book months, years ago. So mm. it's on my list now to get the new Goins book that's that's been reprinted with some new information in it. Yeah, I didn't okay. know there was a reprint. Okay. Yeah, I just, I wrote it down myself. So I think it's, before we get too deep here, Neil, thanks for that. But I think we should mention that if you're going to get these books, don't go to Amazon. This is what you both told me. Uh, when I b- bought one of my books that are on my list, go to Mark Zaleski at Knife Magazine and get your books because he's got almost all of them. Mark sells more knife books than anybody in the world. And, and not, not that you couldn't find any of these books cheaper on Amazon, especially used books. Yeah, you can find them cheaper, but it's nice to support, um, a knife magazine that really supports the hobby. So, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've written several books myself. Mark carries three or four of the books that I've written in the past. And I always tell people, get them from him. I'd, I'd be thrilled to sell my book. And I, I do have a couple of sites where you can buy the book from me direct. But I'm just as happy if you go buy them from, from you know, Knife Magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I would argue that a lot of times you can get better prices at Knife yeah, Magazine. For sure. For, for a lot, sure. for many of the books. For sure. That, that you will not well, find that price at Amazon or what have you. I agree. Yeah. yeah. If you guys don't mind, I'll jump in. Hey Jason, before you go, I have a question on that Blades guide. Is is that just a newer take on Levine's old book? This one, correct, correct. Okay, so yep. I'm I'm holding up to the camera for all of our audio listeners. Levine's guide to knives and their values, and I've had this book for a while. You look it's like old. you have issue four there, if I'm not issue mistaken. four. It's I mean or I've volume four. I've destroyed the spine. I got pages falling yeah. out. I mean I've had the thing in the the photocopier so many times. Um, Mine too. Yeah. I'll, I'll totally 100% agree with you, Neil. If I were to recommend one book, that'd be it. That's a good, good starting point. All right, Jason. All right. 
I'm going to start with my first book here, which would be the Sheffield Exhibition Nights, which was the first one I bought. And going back to our previous conversation here just a minute ago, I was looking up that book and on Amazon, it was going for around $80, $90. I had talked to Mike about that book and uh, he said, no, get, get a hold of Mark at, at Knife Magazine and he's got like every book ever. So I contacted Knife Magazine. And uh, I had my Sheffield Exhibition Knives headed my way for around $50. And that was, that was his price. So, so I think, and I was looking through his online catalog there and he's got, you know, all the books and they were all very well priced. So Sheffield Exhibition Knives, awesome book. Love it. Sits on my coffee table. I thumb through it about every other night. Number two on my list I don't have a lot to say about them because I haven't sat down and read them like you guys, but uh, number two on my list would be the Boker Two Centuries and Two Centuries Representing One Name and Cutlery Excellence, written by none other than Neil Punchard and Ricky Ray. And I've been thumbing through that book here recently as well. It's a good book. Knowing we were going to be doing this episode. Great book. Thanks Great for book. the nice words. Great book. Um, some really... Really fine old versions of Boker knives in here. The, all these books really are pretty stunning to me because I didn't realize all these existed until we started doing this podcast and I started hanging out with you two fellas. So you guys have really opened up a whole new world of knife collecting, uh, knife history, and knowledge for me that is, is, you guys are just making the rabbit hole deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> So I can't thank you enough for that, but those are my two those are my two votes for for what I I would go after. Jason, what you just said is exactly what happened to me. It was the books that really propelled me into uh a fervor of collecting. It's like every time I get another book, I'd look in there and I go, "Holy crap. Look at these knives." And then and then a lot of these books have some really great information, good history, mm -hmm. and that just really, to me, adds that whole spice and flavor to the knife. It's like, wow, this is this is amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I've been looking for a Stockman pattern in particular. I would like to build a Stockman one day, and uh, I've been thumbing through your Boker book here, Neil, and I've come across a few of the old Boker Stockman patterns that... I'm just trying to find the right one, the right proportions of for what I right. want to do, you know, and uh, it, it, all the books are just great resources for guys like myself that are just looking to re resurrect some of these older patterns. So, yep. man, yeah, they're really, really cool. Yeah, if you're into mm. collecting Boker knives, you got to get Neil's book because it's got that great section on dating the knives, which really made it simple i think your hankel's book too made it really simple at least to gain insight on the on the stamps and uh what periods those were made and you know obviously you still have to read the knife but it gives you a good starting place so mike do you have a couple of favorites i'm going to do two books and i think they're going to surprise you this is tough for me really tough uh, the levine's thing's a good pick the sheffield exhibition knives i mean both of those are like really good picks i'm going to go a different route so I'm going to go, I'm going to put my history hat on, and I'm going to pick two books that appeal to me as a historian, which I fancy myself as. My first book is not even about knives. It's called Sheffield Steel in America. But everybody, I think, would uh, recognize the uh, author, Jeffrey Tweedale. Yeah. Um, though it's not about knives, I bet you there's more knife history in this book than any knife history book, uh, just by the nature of uh, Jeffrey's writings. I, you know, when I'm looking at history, I'm really interested in like trying to understand the essence of a person. What was it like for him? What was the culture like? What were his surroundings like? What was the house he lived in? What was it like to walk down the road to his job. You know, all these things go through my mind. And I feel like uh, I'm always looking at history to make connections. I'm trying to make connections in my brain. How does this relate to that? And I think that Jeffrey Tweedell's writing is so information-packed, yet so narrative-driven, that it's quite accessible. And there's enough just in this book about Sheffield Steel in America 
it would keep you busy going down rabbit holes for years and years and years. Anytime you look at the back of the book and the index and the appendices and the bibliographies, you know, half the book, you know, you've got a lot of richness. And um, so that would be one of my picks. This is easily accessible. It's on Amazon. It's on whatever. Um, I'm sure it's at Knife Magazine. Actually, I'm not sure it's there. You can check Knife Magazine, but it's called Sheffield Steel in America. We'll link all these. A Century of Commercial and Technological Interdependence, 1830 to 1930. How exciting is that? Actually, it is very cool. Um, if you're really interested in the, the history of knives and steel, you got to you gotta pick that book up. Tweeddale has written several books, and I agree. He is fantastic, and he researches like like nobody's business. Um, fantastic historian. Yes. It's a good pick, Mike. I don't have the – you have the encyclopedia. I don't have that one by Tweeddale. But I do have the mm-hmm. Sheffield Knife book, which yep. can be tricky. This one's mint. But they can go for – it just depends how lucky you are. They can go for hundreds of dollars online. So, um and speaking of like some of these knife books haven't been printed for decades. Right. If not longer. And they can be quite expensive. They can be like collecting old knives. Um, oh, if yeah. you're into book collecting, some of these books are hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to find. Um, so I thought I would make one pick that's accessible to everybody. And on my website, I've got a lot of historical documents there. Um, and I tried to find, tried to list stuff that I've read that's in the public domain and um, either in the English public domain or the American public domain. And I thought this is not even really a book. It's a PhD thesis, but I think that it, it's a wonderful read. And um, it's written by a gal named Victoria Ann Beauchamp. Yep from uh, when she was at the University of Sheffield. So this is in the 90s. So this was her PhD thesis, and it was called The Workshops of the Cutlery Industry in Hallamshire, 1750 to 1900. And again, this one is information-packed. It's, it's rich with information and connections, um, good narrative. Uh, she really does a comprehensive exploration on her, her thesis on the buildings that supported the early industry in and around Sheffield. But in doing that, she explores, she leaves, you know, no corner unexplored. Everything about cutlery and every trade that surrounded cutlery from quarrying grindstones to packaging to, you know, the horn industry that popped up in Sheffield. And of course, the steel industry in Sheffield and the streams and how transportation, the roads themselves. She's got pictures of the roads that are still there from the 1500s and the big thing, the canals and and, and the laws of England and, you know, how the repeal of a certain law in 1814 really ushered in the knife era um, in England. And it's a wonderful thesis. It's You can read it for free. She's... I think one of the universities had posted it online. So I've linked out to it. It's still accessible. I just checked before we recorded this. You know, it's a thesis. So it's hundreds of pages it's long. It's long. Yeah. I, I've gone through and actually highlighted parts of it. She talks about the apprenticeship program, the free men. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, like you said, Mike, a lot of good details, but it, it is some heavy reading. And if, if you really, uh, like for me, like I said, I, I took a lot of pages out and then I would highlight certain parts of it because it, it does get, it does get long in the tooth, but it's still a great, great historical piece. Yeah. And if you're one that reads to make connections, then you'll love this. It's, it's full of, uh, nice, um, photos, uh, sketches, maps the whole works. I mean, all the way down to describing a typical cutler's workbench, how it would be right, laid exactly. out. I mean, the yeah, whole works. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The stiddy. Cool. The stiddy, yep. how that was made, yep. how it was how it was designed, the dimensions of the stiddy, the relationship of the stiddy to the fireplace. How big was a fireplace? Right. What kind of brick? Where'd the brick come from? I mean, it's, it's a wonderful right. um, piece. We're lucky that she got crazy on that during her thesis and did all that digging <laughs> so um, yep. yeah we owe her a little debt of gratitude there's another thesis out there on my website um 
right before, I think from the eighties and that's Sally Ann Taylor. And that one's called tradition and change the Sheffield cutlery trades. Kind of the same idea. I also recommend that one, but I think Bochamps is, is more interesting. Uh, side note, Sally Ann Taylor, like you can put this in the Google machine. She appeared in some tabloids in England at some point here in the last uh, 10 years. So, oh uh, yeah, mm. if you want to go down some rabbit holes, there you go. So <laughs> everything's connected. I mean, the more history you re- you learn over your life, the more you realize everything's connected. It's yep, it is that's a, right. a fascinating thing. There we go. I'm going to stop there at my. I want to pick a lot more, but I'll stop there. <laughs> I have no doubt that you two could go on for days and days. It would be fun to have a follow-up down the road here and maybe talk about some of the specific groups or books, I mean, that, that cover certain groups of collecting. Um, like I told Mike and Jason earlier, I mean, there's great books on Bowie knives. There's books on switchblade knives. And then, of course, you have your different books for different countries. There's a, you know, that uh, Tweeddale's Dictionary is fantastic yes. for English stuff. Um, Anthony Carter's German book, which again is a, a great encyclopedia for German, for all kinds of German knives. Um, so I, we got to come back to this and hit some other books. And there's some yeah. beautiful art books out there that exist. I've got a book on Navajas, uh, written all in Spanish, but the pictures are phenomenal. And that, and that, that he has, does have some English in the back to explain some things and just a work of art. All right. Those are the picks. Okay. Boys, we'll we'll put the links down. You copy and paste the links on your phone or computer or whatever electronic device you're using. Your watch, your eyeglasses, and uh, yeah, put that on your Christmas your panograph. List. Your, <laughs> no, I don't think so. And uh, <laughs> yeah, get yourself something you really want for Christmas. Get yourself a nice yeah. book or buy a knife from Jason or I. I don't know. Yep. I don't have any knives for sale right now. Do you, Jason? Uh, nope. That's the problem. With making pocket knives. I don't doesn't happen very fast. I'm getting into the fixed blade business, I think. I'm going to make about 1,000 <laughs> knives. I have them in stock. <laughs> I'd say, Mike, just pick one up and every once in a while make a fixed blade. But uh, after you do one, you're like, all right, I'm ready to go back to thinking man's game. Well, you told me that last time. And a month later, here we are, and you're making another <laughs> fixed blade. Oh, it's been oh, longer yeah. than a month. And you're wanting to Come on. mess around with Kydex. I know that next thing you'll be getting <laughs> a little... Little, uh, you know, griddle, <laughs> heat up your Kydex press. <laughs> yeah, a little press. <laughs> I can I see you so. making the press. I'll be like, Jason, just buy one. They're 50 bucks. No, I'm not spending $50. I'll make it. I'll use it. I get this waffle maker I'm not using. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we wish everyone a uh, Merry Christmas, and we'll have another episode out before the end of the year. I guess we'll do a little year-end review. Talk about. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Talk about your feelings, I guess. Anyway, um, thanks again for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you on our uh, last, uh, last podcast of the year episode. Take care. <laughs>